and, and read through uh, to the end of the chapter. Lord willing, um, we will see the importance of, of keeping our word, of keeping our vows and our oaths and our promises. Lord willing, we'll see the importance of not making rash or, or rush decisions. We'll see the importance of communication within the family, communication within a marriage, and the importance of the headship role within the, the family unit. Now, I'm, I'm sure that, that those of you that have been with us through the book of Numbers would agree that it's, it's been a blessing. Manny's he's been doing an awesome job teaching through the book. And, you know, a few of us are just in awe sometimes. It's incredible the treasure that he finds. We walk out of here and, and, and we say to each other, out of one single verse, he, he found all that. And, and it's, it's for that reason that, that we've learned that there's so much history in the book of Numbers, so much detail behind that history, so many nuances behind that detail. And as far as for me, it can be an, an intimidating book to study, let alone trying to teach through it. And so that's why when Manny um, asked me to share with, with you guys tonight, I instinctively thought, me? Are you sure, Manny? And then I said, but, but you're teaching in Numbers. And he said, yeah, and? and so my, my, uh, my feet began to shake in my shoes, put it that way. Keep in mind, this is before I had read any of the passage. And Manny, of course, you guys all know, he graciously said, whatever the Lord places on your heart, bro, just give him the word, Henry, give him the word. So I prayed and I asked God, God, anything but numbers, Lord. You know, maybe something in the New Testament, God. You know, something maybe that we've already addressed at the men's study. But I, I think the Lord had something else in mind because he kept bringing me back to to Numbers chapter 30. So I prayed, and today I pray that in spite of me, God would speak. I believe it was Martin Luther who said that the Bible is like a lion. All we have to do is open the cage and let it out. And I understand that he said it in the context of defending the Bible, defending the scriptures. But I view it as the Bible doesn't need any help. It's alive. All we have to do is commit ourselves to, uh, to God's hands and allow the scripture to speak to the hearts of those listening. And the way I figured is if he, if he spoke through a donkey, then perhaps he could speak through me. I did, however, read a funny quote the other day. That said, the greatest proof that the Bible is inspired is that it has stood so much bad preaching. <laughs> so the way I look at it, guys, at the very least, the fact that I'm standing here will serve as further proof of the Bible's inspiration. But more than anything, I think it will demonstrate how blessed we are as a church to have a pastor with the gift of teaching, with the gift of, of sharing uh, like Manny does in the Word of God. So see, I'm going to serve a purpose tonight. Amen? Okay. Now that I said my piece, let's go ahead and get started. If, you have, if you're not there already, would you turn with me to, to uh, Numbers chapter 30? Now, the first thing that stuck out in chapter 30 to me was how important it is to keep a vow, especially a vow made unto the Lord. Vows that are unto God should always be honored. 
They should never be empty. And I read a really good description of what an empty vow is. It says, an empty vow is a great swelling of words of emptiness, a worthless check, a cloud without rain, shelter with no roof, a barren fruit tree, a well without water, a bridge to nowhere, a mirage, a deceptive illusion. It requires no effort to see to its fulfillment. Well, the Western definition of a vow is a solemn promise or assertion, specifically one by which a person is bound to enact service or condition. And if if we were to look at the the Strong's Concordance, it would show us that the Hebrew word for vow is nadir, which primarily means a promise to God. A vow is a pledge to do something. An oath, on the other hand, is a promise not to do something. And in verses 1 through 2, we're going to see Moses communicating on behalf of God. He's relaying a command from God on vows and oaths. He's stressing the importance of keeping our promises. He's touching on the importance of keeping our word. Let's go ahead and read it together. Moses says to the heads of the tribes of Israel, This is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Now the first thing we see here is that Moses is speaking to the heads of the tribes of Israel. The idea being that through the leaders, the command would trickle down to the 12 tribes of Israel. Hopefully these leaders would lead by example. And it's an application to us today as husbands, as parents, as wives, as leaders, we also need to hear from the Lord and then lead by example. So Moses tells them, this is what the Lord commands. And I love that because it's, it's not what Moses commanded or what the Poles commanded. No, this command comes straight from the CEO. In fact, the Lord should be our only source, right? This is what the Lord commands. It's the equivalent of thus says the Lord. And that that should be our standard. I like what Spurgeon wrote on this issue. He says, thus says the Lord is the only authority in God's church. The faintest whisper of Jehovah's voice should fill us with solemn awe and command the deepest obedience of our souls. Brethren, how careful should we be that we do not set up in God's church anything in opposition to his word, that we do not permit the teachings of a creature to usurp the honor due to the Lord alone. Thus says antiquity, no. Thus says authority, no. Thus says learning, no. Thus says experience, no. Thus says charisma, nope. Thus says popularity, not that one either. Thus says the Lord. This is the model of our standard. So what does the Lord command? We find that in verse 2. It says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. We need to be certain, guys, that when we make a vow or or a promise to the Lord, he's going to require us to fulfill that vow, to keep that oath. He expects us to make good on our promises. Proverbs uh, 20.25 says, It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterwards to reconsider his vows. We need to be careful not to make rash vows. 
case in point, uh, Jephthah, who was a judge over the land of Israel. You can find uh, the source of text in, in Judges 11, uh, verses 29 through 35. I won't take you there. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it just to give you the idea of what, what happened here. But this man vowed that if the Lord would give him victory and deliver the people of Ammon into his hands, he would offer the first thing that came out of his house as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. To make a long story short, Jephthah was given victory. However, upon his return home to his dismay, his little daughter was the first one to run out. And what was Jephthah thinking here when he made this vow? I mean, only the, no, the Lord knows. But it should teach us that you shouldn't promise anything rashly unto the Lord. It should be a reminder that it's a, that it's a serious business to make a promise to God, to make a promise to anybody. We all know that saying, right? We shouldn't write out, out checks that our body can't cash. Well, in Luke fourteen twenty eight, Jesus tells us the importance of counting the cost. He says, for which, you, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Before we make promises, we need to count the cost. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed. Better not to vow than to vow not to pay. You'll notice that it says it's better not to make a vow than to vow and not, on, not, not honor it. It's the same thing that our Lord Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. In fact, if you guys would go with me there, we'll go ahead and look at it together. We're going to start in Matthew 5, starting with verse 33. Go ahead and start reading. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than this, than these is from the evil one. It's about good old-fashioned honesty, guys. This is what Jesus is saying. We need to be careful not to just spew out frivolous, irreverent, or casual vows or promises to God. He points to that fact that such methods were often used for misleading purposes. Some Jews would swear by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, Almani. No, I'm just kidding. Or their own heads, hoping to avoid divine judgment. Basically, what they were trying to do is they were trying to beat the case on a technicality, right? Let me ask you, and I don't know if this is just me. When I was a little kid, all right, I didn't know the Lord back then. But how many of you have ever sworn by, swore by an imaginary aunt or an uncle? You're trying to convince somebody of the truth? a far-fetched story that nobody would believe. But you're sitting there saying, it's true, it's true. I swear on my tia Lucha. <laughs> Hoping that that individual doesn't know your family, right? Because if not, you're busted. Hey, you don't have a tia Lucha. 
Yeah, I do. She's on my mom's side, a, a friend of my cousin's cousin. I kind of consider her my aunt. God sees right through that, guys. As Christians, Jesus is telling us to make sure that everything we say is true. We've got to remember, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And that's especially true today as we see the divorce rate at an all-time high. We see people making promises without ever considering what they just promised. And Christians, these are Christians we're talking about, not people of the world. Now, granted, we're talking about vows, and vows are seen primarily in the Old Testament. Leviticus showed us that, among other vows, there were the vows of people, the vows of animals, the vows of houses, the vows of inheritance, family land. In the New Testament, our Lord taught that every commitment, every promise was to be as binding as a vow. Again, I go back to let your yes be yes and your no, no. But we do make vows. The vow of marriage. To have and to hold. The promise to love and cherish in sickness and in health. Till death do us part. I ask myself and I ask you husbands, wives, how are we doing with it? How about the crowning of Christ as king in our lives? Yes, Lord, I will follow you. How are we doing with that vow? This is exactly what we're reading back in the book of Numbers. Let's go back there and we'll continue. Notice what it says in verse 2. Very powerful statement. When a man makes a vow to the Lord. Now, just as we were saying, we need to tell the truth. We need to keep our word. But how much more when we direct it to God? Isaiah 12, 24 tells us, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider great, what great things he has done for you. Our relationship with God is based on truth. And I thank God that unlike us, he's not slack concerning his promises. Amen? Just think about what it feels like when someone promises you something and they don't come through. The next time they make a promise, is there going to be doubt? Probably, right? But there's no doubt in God. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21 says, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanius, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. We should rejoice that all the promises of Jesus are secure. We can go to the bank with them. Do you believe that? Now, in verses 3 to 5, we see how God made provisions to excuse certain vows or oaths. I believe we also see the importance that God put on the place of headship in the family. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. 
But if her father overrules her on that day that he hears, then none of the, her vows nor her agreements by which she was bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Notice that it says a woman while in her father's house in her youth. Again, here we see the importance of authority, of headship within the family. God gives the opportunity to the father, who's wiser, to gather the information and then make a decision if he should intervene. By the way, this, this was also followed for younger boys. I like what Warren Risby wrote on, the, on this topic, though. He says, while all people are created equal before God and the law, there are still levels of authority and responsibility that must be respected. He cited Ephesians 5, 18, and chapter 6 through 9. It says, the unmarried maiden in her father's home is subject to her father's will. So we see the father is given one day to overrule the vow. If the vow is vetoed, so to speak, then the vow is canceled. On the other hand, if the father keeps his silence through the, throughout the day, then the vow stands. Worsby also wrote, not only is there power in words, but there's also power in silence. In this case, silence means consent. On a side note, just for us, this is a good lesson to us as parents. When we are silent, we are in essence consenting to our children's actions. There's a quote saying that says, saying nothing sometimes says the most. Now in verses 6 through 8, we see the transfer of headship go from the father of the young girl to her future husband. Because look what it says. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vow shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow, which she took and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Again, we see the fiancé is given the opportunity to release his future wife from this rash vow. The word rash indicates that it was given while well, not in the, in the right frame of mind. It seems by the passage that perhaps the, the vow or the oath was pledged before the husband came into her life. But nevertheless, the Lord still gives him the opportunity to revoke the promise as long as he revokes it on the same day he gets wind of it. If he holds his peace, then the vow stands. Now verse 9 speaks about a vow of a widow or a divorced woman. And it states that if a woman who is not under the law of matrimony anymore makes a vow, she's held accountable for that vow. Because look what it says. This is verse 9. It says, Also any vow of a widow or a divorced or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. Verses 10 through 15 is given in the same spirit. However, this is now talking about a vow that was made while a woman was married or a woman is married. Let's take a look at it. It says, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. 
her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever to her from day to day, and he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her, he confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he's heard them, then she shall bear her guilt. I was thinking, husbands, pay attention. Because while zoning out on the football game, your wife might say, Honey, I'll be back. I'm going to go buy a car. And you'll say, All right, honey, be careful. So now you've heard it, right? You've heard it. You've consented. And, and now you're indebted to that shiny new VW orange bug in your driveway. Now, in all seriousness, as a leader in the family, we see here that it's the, the husband's responsibility to protect the wife, to protect his family. It's important that every decision is made, that is made be communicated. There can't be two decision makers in the family. I remember Pastor Pancho at Calvary Chapel Montebello once stated that two decision makers in a home is like a two-headed monster. It's a monstrosity, he said. It is. And here we see that if the husband holds the silence, the vow or the oath stands. But if on the day he hears of the pledge, he disagrees, then the promise will not stand. Now, if after the day he changes his mind, then in the spirit of a husband and wife becoming one, and the husband being the head, he's now responsible for that vow. I found that very interesting. I read somewhere that, that this is an outworking of the principle of headship. What God declares someone to be in a position of rightful authority and others are expected to submit to that authority. The head is also accountable before God for the result. Do you notice that no one steps in for, for a man? If the man makes a vow, he's got to keep it. God never grants authority without accountability. Now we close with verse 16, which states that these are the statues which the Lord commanded Moses which can be translated as this is the revealing will of God. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth and her father's house. As we look back at what we learned, honesty, keeping our word, keeping our vows, we see such an important point that as Christians we need to take heed. I love Warren Wisby, so I like to quote him. He wrote, the foundation of society today are eroding. Why? Because of unkept promises, whether they be official contracts, marriage vows, political pledges, or words spoken on the witness stand. We expect the Lord to keep his promises, and he expects us to keep ours. Truth is a cement that holds society together. I agree. Again, let our yeses be our yeses and our noes be our noes. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, God, again, I thank you, Lord, for uh, for this time, Lord. Uh, I know that it was probably short, Lord, and, and uh, I ask that you forgive me, Father, Lord, um, just for not being a good steward of time, Lord. But nevertheless, Father, I pray that 
your word went forward, Lord, and that it would uh, it would have touched the hearts, Father Lord, of of the congregation, Lord. And uh, I just thank you for what you've spoken to us tonight, Lord. The importance of our vows, the importance of our promises, the importance of of uh, not making rash decisions, the importance of of uh, of the family unit, of the headship, of communication in the household. I thank you, Father, and I just uh, pray, Father, that I would um, learn from this, God, and that I would uh, remember it, Father, Lord, when uh, when I have to put it into practice, Father. I thank you again for uh, for this time that you've allowed us, Lord, and uh, I love you, we need you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, can we all stand? As-